Hello and welcome to Mavs Daily, presented by the Dallas Morning News, where every single day we are breaking down question, event, news, or trend having to do with the Dallas Mavericks. My name is Bobby Corella. Joining me is Isaac Harris. Isaac, how the heck are you? Man, I'm doing great, Bobby. Just finished kayaking, so uh, had had a blast out on the water, but uh, I had even more fun watching the overtime win. Uh, let's just say the overtime of the Mavs-Kings game yesterday. Well, yeah, we don't want to spoil it, but the Mavs won. Luca and the gang pulled through, and so here we are. Going to knock out a podcast real quick. But first, from local high schools to the pros, the Dallas Morning News has got North Texas sports covered. And it's more than just the scores. It's from all the offseason moves to in-season adjustments, postseason glory, what mask Luca is wearing. Is he actually tan or is the lighting just doing him some favors? Brad Townsend, Callie Kaplan, and the rest of the gang at the DMN have got the inside scoop on your favorite teams, players, and coaches. You can follow every goal, save, bucket, touchdown, slam dunk, or missed dunk, Luca, as the Dallas Morning News delivers real local sports journalism from the press box and the locker room straight to your inbox. As soon as this podcast is over, you can head to the dallasnews.com slash sports, catch up on all things Mavs, and also, uh, just like I said, high schools, colleges are having, uh, I guess, keep it locked on the Dallas News uh webpage to see if college sports even happen this year uh but all that matters isaac is that the nba is happening and my god the mavs reeled off their first win in five months and it felt like the greatest day of all time and i felt like it was not going to be the greatest day of all time uh, at least at the beginning and you know the the previous two games have been covered on uh mavs daily on previous uh two episodes, I guess, or multiple episodes talking about the first two seeding games. And uh, you obviously know if you're listening to this by now, Dallas went 0-2 in those games. And in, should we say, heartbreaking fashion, I guess? Uh, It was just too The first game was for sure. The second game was more of just like despair, I think. Yes, yes. So going to the Kings game, you know, I think they have the worst defense uh, in the bubble for teams in the bubble. And I'm like, hey – you know what, this is the perfect opponent to go against right now to kind of get things back on track. Let's go out here, roll the Kings, and we'll be back going. And I was a little worried in the first half, not going to lie. Yeah, well, and really in the fourth quarter, too. I mean, Dallas was (laughs) down 95-89, I think, with like five and a half, six minutes left, something like that. And the Kings just go scoreless for the rest of regulation, which is unbelievable. I mean, it... And and the thing is like it was it ended up being a real low scoring game. The finals one fourteen one ten Mavs win in overtime. It was ninety five to ninety five at the end of uh, at the end of regulation. And De'Aaron Fox in particular, Buddy Heald was having a good game too. Those two guys were just really like kind of scoring at will. Bealitza got going. He hit like some thirty five footer right in front of the Mavs bench. And I'm just thinking Bealitza because he got the Mavs uh, earlier this season he scored I think a career high 34 points 30 or something, something yeah. in that game as uh, as the Kings beat the Mavs that was Corey Joseph Falgate game um but the Mavs were able to pull it out they were able to pull it out and this is kind of the exact opposite of what happened against Houston uh, I guess it was really more like Houston only you subtract literally like 50 points from both teams point totals um you know Dallas was 
against Houston, leading really like the entire game. It was kind of close early, and then Dallas, uh, you know, opened up this 11, 15-point lead. I think he got to uh, up to at one point. Uh, we're up, you know, 8, 10, double digits, really like the entire game until the last few minutes Houston made a run. All of a sudden, boom, you look up and the game is over. Uh, kind of the same exact thing happened, only the positions were flipped. The, the tables turned, the shoes on the other foot or whatever, because Dallas trailed the entire game. Uh, this was an overtime game. It was a 53-minute game. Dallas led for two minutes and 40 seconds of this game. And I believe uh, in regulation they did not lead at all beyond four to three, like right at the beginning of the game. And so you're talking coming from behind as as far from behind as you can come. They, they trailed by as many as 11 points. Like we said, they were down six points with about five, six minutes left. And this is a team that all – season long in in Dallas's case has really kind of struggled in the clutch offensively and defensively too but especially offensively and the fact that they were able to not only uh come back and win a game in which they trailed late but also they did it Porzingis fouled out you know Seth Curry was hurt so they did it pretty shorthanded even more so than they already are and I think I, I do want to talk about some like bubble observations overall but uh, first, I mean, the fact that they were able to survive this game without all the firepower that they were missing uh, really is like a testament, not only to the guys who are playing, but also like Luca is just he's something else, man. He he did stuff today that I've never seen him do before. And I don't want to, you know, steal all your good points or anything. So I guess go ahead and, and jump in here. No, I, I was actually going to ask you a question uh, just for something at the very beginning of the game, a lineup change for, for Rick. And I was I want to get your opinion on this, on uh, why this happened. So you alluded to Seth Curry being out and leg soreness, I think, something in his leg, uh, him being out. He's reported doubtful yesterday. And I was curious on who they were going to start in this game. And I thought that maybe they would put DeLon in to guard De'Aaron Fox or would they go with the hot hand and Trey Burke or whoever it was. So then – it's announced before the game. Even the Dallas Mavericks Twitter posted the graphic with Trey Burke in it. And it was, you know, everybody thought it was Trey Burke. And then, bam, the tip off happens and JJ Berea comes out. So, why do you, why do you think Rick inserted JJ Berea into the starting lineup for this Mavs team right now? I don't know. First off, I don't know if it's a trick question. I didn't see the post games uh, interviews today because I was I was editing some stuff, and so Rick might have talked about it post game. Uh, you can go to the Dallas Mavs YouTube channel and 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 read all about it. Or Isaac, if you were in that press conference, maybe you know. But um, what I think the rationale behind it is so even going back to like the the championship season 2011. And really, even before that, like the Antoine Wright years in 2008, 2009, whenever the Mavs played the Nuggets in the playoffs, is there's always, well, not this season so much, but there's many times in, in, in Mavs kind of history, uh, there's been a starter who has only played like the first six to eight minutes of the first quarter, and then the first six to eight minutes of the third quarter. It was Deshaun Stevenson, whenever the Mavs won the championship. It was Antoine Wright before that. And then I want to say the trend kind of broke off uh, whenever uh, whenever Monte Ellis came here, which is kind of like right after Jason Terry left because you have this dynamic sixth-man scorer in Jason Terry, and that, and that was the reasoning why, who's going to play 30, 35 minutes off the bench, and so you're just going to start somebody at two as kind of like a filler, and then you can bring in your dynamic scorer off the bench. And, so, and, and the way that that especially helped the Mavs back then was that you had – 
Jason Terry coming in about six minutes left in the quarter as Dirk came out uh, with about six minutes left in the quarter. For much of Dirk's career, whenever uh, Carlisle was the coach, he would pull him out after five or six minutes uh, to get him a few minutes rest in the first quarter and then bring him in toward the end of the first quarter, ironically, with J.J. Now the positions have switched once again. J.J. is now the guy that was starting and being taken out. But Luca in the bubble, if if I don't – I know that most people don't even think about this stuff because I'm a weirdo, so, like, I'm the exception. But I don't know if anybody noticed, but Luca is now playing Dirk's rotation – uh, from way back then. So Luca's playing the first six, seven minutes, getting taken out, coming back in with a few minutes left in the first quarter, playing with the second unit for a lot of the second quarter, and then coming out as the rest of the starters come back in midway through, getting a few minutes and then coming back in. Then he does the same exact thing in the second half. And so basically this is a super, super long-winded way of setting up that I think going into this game, Rick maybe thought, okay, I can start Trey Burke and give him a ton of minutes and guard Fox. And then he thought, well, okay, then that who, who am I going to bring off the bench in that case? It would just be J.J. And we've seen, uh, you know, against the Lakers and against the – he had a really good game in, in I think, both of those scrimmages. But in one of them, uh, I think it was maybe against Philly, like in the first half, they couldn't get much going on the second unit. And then J.J. came in at the end and was just awesome. Um, but anyway, I wonder if the thought process was we can start J.J. and Luka together – for the first six minutes of both of these halves, J.J. can handle some of the playmaking duties so that Luka's not wearing himself out five minutes into the game. And then as Luka leaves, Trey Burke comes in. J.J. and Trey Burke can share playmaking duties. And then J.J. sits down and you bring in somebody like DeLon or Justin Jackson or whoever. And that way, you know, the the you, you kind of go to the Jason Terry thing where Trey Burke is your kind of jet off the bench playing a ton of minutes, doing a lot of shot creation both for himself and for his teammates. But that's a really long-winded way of saying I think maybe he's just trying to go with what he knows from way back in the day uh, with Dirk. And it, it worked out for Dirk. The Mavs always had a very good bench because Dirk was playing with the bench. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, man. I, this this might have just been a complete waste of time and someone might be saying, God, shut up and let Isaac talk again. No, no, no. No, I, I think that that's exactly – yeah, I, I lean that route to it. And I lean that route um, also because of the veteran leadership that, that J.J. brings. And, you know, it, I think when – even going back to the offseason when we were all debating on which different pieces and players Dallas could target with cap space and all this different stuff, when you have this young core with KP and Luca and, and I think it's, I think it's important for when people talk about young, it's not just about age. We're talking about like experience in the league too, to where somebody like Maxi might be a little bit older than what some people might think. But when you look at his experience in the league, it's not where some of the other players in the league at his age, where they're at as far as playing experience. So when you have a younger team and a younger core like this, even guys like Dorian, even if you take a step further, like Tim Hardaway, like he, there's not a, a Jason kid type that when you look at the 2011 team and you had this kind of um, grizzled vet in, in Jason kid, who's been there, done that. So I wonder if it's something that Rick looked at and said, Hey, we've been kind of struggling coming out of the gates in the third quarter, looked at your rotation thing and said, Hey, what if we started JJ first quarter, played his handful of minutes, and then knowing that you're going to start the second half too in that third quarter, and maybe just help us. JJ's not at this stage in his career. He's, he's 36. And it's like, Hey, whatever you get out of JJ Barea right now at 36, you're happy with. I mean, I mean, 
not many players play until they're 36 years old. And he does give you, he knows the right thing to do. He can also run the offense, take the low from Luca, like you said. And so, yeah, I, I, I didn't, I didn't mind Rick starting JJ in place of Trey and it, yeah, it didn't allow Trey Burke to come off the bench and Trey still played, uh, what, 23 minutes in this game too. So that's the, and that's the, the, it's like the spot minutes that JJ credit to him too, because he didn't, I don't think he, did he play in the Suns game? I don't think he did. Did he? JJ? No, this is his first minutes of the bubble. I mean, of, of, regulation yeah the seat of the seating game so hats off to him too to where it's like hey bam you're now starting the first and third quarters now when you haven't played the past two games yeah one i mean not to rehash things that everybody already knows but the mavs don't have courtney lee they don't have dwight powell they don't have jalen brunson they don't have willie collie stein and so this team that regularly rolls out 11 12 guys in a normal game whether they're winning or losing by a lot or little suddenly your rotations cut down to now like you know, you only have, I think, 12 active players in this game because Curry was out, uh, maybe even 11. And one of your active players is Josh Reeves, who is a rookie and is probably not going to get much playing time. And then another guy is Antonius Cleveland, who got into this game, played four minutes and played a little bit in the Phoenix game. But generally, he's not going to play a lot, too. And so part of, one of the hallmarks of this Mavs team is its depth. All of a sudden now you really only have like a seven or eight man rotation. And so I guess it's just like juggling minutes and kind of messing with the rotation on a game-by-game -game basis. They're in experiment mode anyway right now. I mean, Rick kind of said yeah. as much after the game. He's like, look, we're just trying to get to the playoffs. We kind of know we're going to be seventh. It would take like a miracle for them to move up. And so it's just like, eh, whatever. Uh, let's just try stuff and see what sticks. And that's how they found the lineup that worked. But, um, but yeah, I think part of it too was just like, you know, you saw whenever Burke came in the game, he was basically just bombs away. Like every time he touched the ball, it was Trey Burke time. But that's I think that was intentional. Like Rick telling uh, Trey just like, you know, you just got to go out there and just shoot because, you know, we have a lot of bench scoring ordinarily. But now that our rotations kind of cut down because of injuries and, and whatever, um, you know, we just got to take bench points how we can get them. And so if the shots are there, take it. And I think that you're much more comfortable with Burke playing that role than with JJ playing that role simply because JJ is more like a facilitator. He's going to generate offense for other people. Burke can generate offense for himself. And so I think yeah. that that was kind of the, the trade-off there. Now, it didn't necessarily work. JJ's plus minus for the game was minus 10, but, you know, it's not like he was single-handedly responsible for uh, Sacramento opened up, what, I think five for six on threes in the first yeah. quarter. And, uh, you know, the Mavs committed some turnovers, and they were just, you know, they just looked all out of sorts. But, um, but yeah, so, I mean, I guess, like, we'll see if Seth plays in the next game. They play again, and uh, they played tomorrow. Um, against the what's the Clippers, right? Clippers, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, so and if you're monitoring, like, a lot, I mean, I'm sure a lot of you listening are, are monitoring this playoff seating thing right now. And just if the Mavericks, even if they don't move up and they stay at the seventh spot, a lot of people want them to avoid somebody like the Clippers, who are title favorites in a lot of people's eyes. And you know, the Clippers lost yesterday to the Suns. And that was a big loss for them. They've already lost their first game of the seeding game against the Lakers. And if Dallas can walk in and beat them on Thursday, that's another loss for the Clippers. And, you know, if Denver keeps on winning, you might be able to pull off some type of first-round matchup with Denver. But um, I think, yeah, I think we definitely have to talk about Luka Doncic's massive game. I mean, for you. Real quick, real quick, before we get to Luka, yeah. Denver and the Clippers play each other. Uh, oh, I, I didn't know that. Game seven for them, so that will be a wow, that'll be a really big one, depending on how the standings are shaping up. Yeah, wow, I didn't know that they could. 
we could see something happen in that game depending on like what team yeah. wants to play somebody. <laughs> yeah, that'd be, we, that'd be wild. Could. There's um, going to be a lot of tomfoolery going on in some of these games. <laughs> as far as overall games, is this a top three Luka Doncic game for you overall? Okay. Bo- both sides of the court because Luka Doncic – okay, we could go all day about Mavs Twitter. One, I couldn't take Mavs Twitter after another loss today, so that was another reason why I'm super glad uh, that the Mavericks won this game. But – I just tweeted out afterwards. I said, Luka Doncic played really good defense in overtime. I didn't mean it as a knock like the whole game. And so many so many fans came at me and was like, he played good defense the whole game. I'm like, yeah, yeah, he did. Like, I'm not saying <laughs> – I'm just saying specifically overtime. because. But I, I'm, I'm on the same page with him. I thought Luka played a great defensive game for him. Like, And especially in overtime, I think this is one of the best defensive games I've ever seen from Luka. He was very active. And I will say, too, I mean – Sacramento has the kind of personnel and the kind of like system and everything that really sort of caters to Luca's um, strengths, right? Like he got matched up against Harrison Barnes many times, for example, who is not the quickest guy ever. Uh, he's going to take you down on the block and try and back you down. But Luca's a big bodied guy. He's, you know, pretty strong and everything. And so I feel like that kind of favors Luca there. And they have Bogdanovich, who plays more at Luca's pace, uh, more his speed. Um, you know, you don't Elisa. necessarily want Luca chasing Buddy Heald around off screens or keeping up with De'Aaron Fox, but, you know, Kent Bazemore plays more at his speed too. And so I feel like this is kind of more of a game that's kind of fit his, uh, his whatever, physical limitations, if you want to call it that. But, um, yeah, I mean, as far as how this stacks up in his career, it was funny we did that podcast, what was your favorite Luca game? And uh, my favorite yeah. Luca game was actually the – the last time they played Kings. Sacramento uh, yeah. in Sacramento, Luca had 25 points, 17 assists, 15 boards, and was awesome in that game. And I thought that was like the perfect Luca game. And I still stand by that because 17 assists is a lot, and it that there was just something like so effortless about that that game. This game will stand out to me for a very long time, even though it you know it's just a regular season game against a losing team. But um, they were very injured. Porzingis fouled out of the game, I believe, in regulation with like four yeah, minutes left overtime. or something. I mean, so you're pretty depleted, man. You're missing Dwight Powell, obviously. Seth Curry is out. Porzingis fouled out. That's three starters that are out of the game, and you're losing. Yeah. And the team, including you, it's not. This isn't Luca and fourteen other players. This is the whole team. They were six for thirty-one on threes in regulation Lucas said himself after the game we played the worst game ever and somehow we won and going into really kind of you know going into the stretch run there Dallas was down by I think by 10 and they called a timeout or something uh there was kind of this thing like if they're gonna win this game it's gonna be because Luca is gonna do something crazy and sure yeah. enough he was able to pull it out man I I, I don't know how he did it I if we're talking like raw stat line, yeah, the stat line was great. Thirty-four points, twenty rebounds, twelve assists is just like I mean that's a joke. It's only been, it's only happened uh, nine other times in NBA history by three players: Elgin, wow. Wilt, Kareem. Those are three of the Dang. all-time stat stuffiest players in the history of the <laughs> league. Those three guys, and and Luca is now the fourth. I mean, that is the level of insanity that we saw. But even beyond just like box score numbers. He dug so deep, like you said, on defense, coming up with big plays, big stops, crashing the boards. I mean, a lot of the times, a lot of his rebounds are just like easy. You know, everybody's just running down to the other end, so he's going to get the ball. But, I mean, he was like jumping in there, 
reaching his arms out, you know, boxing out, fighting with guys for the ball. Um, and then, you know, there was there was not much settling. He took uh, a couple threes late in the clock. He took a three as a two for one. But for the most part, he was attacking guys off the bounce, going in the going in the post, going on the block, uh, facilitating, finding shooters, trusting his teammates, putting them in the right spot. No matter who was on the floor or who was off, again, you know, a bunch of guys are not playing the, in this game that he's accustomed to playing with. And he found a way to make it work. I mean, it was just – it was – it was amazing. It it was one of the it was one of the best performances that I've ever seen probably watching an NBA game in a regular season game at least. What about you? And that yeah, I mean that that's just like what top 10 players in the league do. And to see I think that was just one of those eye-opening moments as a Mavs fan at at heart watching your team and seeing Luka play every game this season and you're like oh you know he's good and you like you hype him we talk about him all the time we're like yes he's an MVP can all this stuff but then like you feel so validated when you see these moments and you're like dang not everybody can do that like that it's those moments where it felt like Luca was truly a top five top 10 player in the league that said because not like not every player has that gear in them to say and, and this it felt like that game today of this is my game like everything's going wrong for our team right now, but I refuse to let my team lose. This and it was felt kind like of like that. what it must be like to watch LeBron. Like yeah, more than probably more than any other game I've ever seen Luca play. This was like a, a LeBron level performance. Yeah, and and you laid you laid everything out because there those last few minutes of the fourth they were losing. KP fouled out. And I was like, dang, like if they're going to and no what no one else was really hitting. Like you said, they finished the game nine of 41 from three as a team, 22 percent. They shot 36 percent as a team, 33 of 90 from the field. And you're like, all right, no one else is like really on fire. Tim had a Tim had a good game. He had 22 points, but no one else really on fire. KP just filed out the team shooting bad. They're down to the Sacramento team. They've lost the first two games of the seeding games. The clutch stuff, you know, is in their head, another clutch game and everybody's talking about it. It's like, dang. And then Luca shows up and it's like, Hey, I got this. Like, this is, this is what, what I'm going to do right now. I'm putting everybody on my back and I'm going to go win this game. And, and, and I'm not taking away from Tim in overtime because, I mean, he hit a big three in overtime. He had the, you know, he hit the three free throws in overtime. But just what Luca did at the end of regulation and leading the team through overtime to this win. And I, I get it, Sacramento. I get that for sure. And it's just a seeding game. It's not a playoff game, whatever. But that's like what a, a future MVP does. Yeah, that was an MVP performance. And big yeah. time players make big time plays in big time games, right? And like, in the grand scheme of things, in the course of Luca's career, we probably won't even remember this game very well. I mean, that's that's first off how good he is, and also like kind of just reinforces again. This was just a regular season game against Sacramento, and no disrespect to Sacramento, and no disrespect to the regular season, but the Mavs are going to play a lot. If everything goes according to plan, they're going to play many games that are more important than this one. But this is the kind of thing that you have to do sometimes you have to you, sometimes you have to will your team to victory you yeah. know and that's no disrespect to the other players on the team you know to Tim Hardaway who like you said he was awesome he had 22 points hit a, a big three in overtime he got fouled shooting a three one time um you know Maxi came up with some really really big defensive plays too and Dorian Finney-Smith had a huge fourth quarter especially early on 
uh, helping them erase that lead and then also came up with some really, really big rebounds in, in overtime too. And I know everybody cares a whole lot about rebounds. So, I mean, they, they were they were big plays, but that is kind of the, you know, that's sort of the recipe for winning games. You need your superstar player to play like a superstar, and then you need your role players to make timely plays. And that's what they did. I mean, that's, that's what they did. You have two superstars, a superstar and a star. I don't need to be talking about cosmic size or anything, but like, you have two incredible players. One of them fouled out of the game. And so what is the one that you have left? What, what's he going to do? And Luca stepped up in, in a, a pretty epic way. So, yeah, it was awesome. I mean, I, I, I have nothing but positive things to say about the way that uh, he played today because, I mean, I'm not sure how many times we've seen that level of basketballdom in the regular season ever yeah. in – our lifetime as Mavs fans, of course, LeBron has had amazing games and all that stuff, but I'm talking like purely Mavericks outside of some Dirk performances. That was, yeah, it was pretty rarefied air. Yeah. And and I'm glad you mentioned Dorian too. I thought Dorian had a good ending to the game today and, you know, Dorian and Max, they both kind of struggled. Tim too, kind of struggled in the first two seeding games. And we've talked about on this podcast that those next four guys and that if you want if you want to do the six-man rotation thing after Luca and KP and and when you look at Tim and Seth and Maxie and Dorian a couple of those guys have been struggling these first two seeding games and uh, I know you know Maxie hit I think his one three of the game it was I want to say it was later in the game in in the fourth quarter maybe even overtime I can't remember it was kind of like the pseudo dagger put him up I think 112-107 I, I know it was at a bigger moment and uh, I was ha- I, I was like it was one of those moments where like you you when rooting for the team and it's like rooting for specific players when that shot went in I'm like dang I'm so happy for him I'm like I was like really happy for him because I knew that he had to be like really frustrated with, with just everything going on with this play right now but I, I yeah I thought Maxi had uh, Maxi and Dorian had a good ending to the game and Tim you know like you said point out and he went three of nine from the from three but yeah, good, so he, good I, ending, good overtime win for Mavs. Compared to everybody else, he was on fire. <laughs> yeah, that's nine, true. Like, Whoa, take it easy. <laughs> it was it, it was such a weird it, it was a weird um, contrast really of this game to the first two games because you know that Houston game they score forty two points in the first quarter, and this game today or yesterday against Sacramento, you know Dallas hits the forty three point mark with like four minutes to go in the second quarter. You're like, whoa, like what a difference in scoring. And it was kind of a glimpse of, okay, when, you know, this most prolific offense in history of this this Dallas team led by Luka, you know, in the back of your mind, you're like, all right, well, what happens to this team when, they're don't, when they don't hit? Like, what, what if they don't hit? You know, what's going to happen to them? And they won today. And I, I, once again, I get Sacramento is a different team than an L.A. team or Milwaukee, whatever it is, but – you know, they, them still, I think this gives them so much confidence moving forward because I know fans talk about it. And, oh, okay. Well, when they don't hit threes, there's no way they're going to ever win a game. I think this does give them confidence too of, Hey, even if the ball's not going in the basket from three, we still have a shot to win this game. And I think this will help them moving forward for sure. And the only way that you can come in, well, there's, I guess there's two ways. There's only one you have to outscore your opponent, but there's really two ways that you can erase double-digit deficits in the NBA. One, you can just get red hot. Basically do what Phoenix did to Dallas the other day, where Cameron Payne and Cam Johnson just 
hit like five threes in a row and all of a sudden you're just shell-shocked like oh my god what the hell just happened or you can get stops and the Mavs really all year long have not been much of like a string together stops kind of team they get stops whenever they can and sometimes you know they'll force a few turnovers here or there but usually they just like they light up the scoreboard and hope the other team just kind of misses some shots, you know. But they did it with defense. They forced a couple turnovers. They forced some misses. They got rebounds. I mean, they they and so that is the kind of thing I feel like that can propel them forward too. Saying, okay, we don't have to score 150 points to win a game. In fact, the one mm-hmm. time we did that, we lost. So let's you know let's start it with defense again, and then see where that takes us. So. You know, we'll see. Maybe this game doesn't matter at all. Maybe tomorrow they lose by 40. Or maybe this will be something that three weeks from now, whenever they win a playoff series, we can look back at this moment and say, that lit a fire under them. I guess that's – we'll find out. Uh, okay, a couple quick thoughts that I have before uh, – I, I let's each give a, maybe one thought about the bubble so far. Um, kind of like all three games, sort of like an overarching Mavs take. Um, we can have an honorable mention and a real one. My honorable mention is, uh, dear God, we've got to do something about how many whistles there are. This is insane. There are too many fouls. There's too many fouls. It, I don't know what it is. I know some people have speculated that because it's an empty gym, you can hear things like um, you know, body contact or hand-slapping arms. Uh, you know, sound carries more in an empty place. And so maybe that's why there's assumed to be more contact. But there is no way that, and again, this is the Mavs that we're doing it, but there's no way an NBA team should be taking 50 free throws in a game. They, they got fouled intentionally twice all game. They shot 50 free throws. This is only the third time since 2000. I mean, this is the third time this millennium that they've taken at least 35 free throws three games in a row. I mean, it never happens, but it's happened three games in a row in the bubble. There's too many freaking fouls. So, all right, everybody, let's let's clean it up. Opponents, stop fouling. Mavs, stop fouling. These games are like five hours. Let's just get under control. My real uh, kind of take from this is uh, uh, yesterday, Jenny Busick said on the podcast with Becca that they're still kind of like sort of the, the, the players are still sort of like getting used to each other. Which is weird, or it was weird when I first heard it, because, okay, you scored 149 against Houston, and you scored, what, 115, I think, against Phoenix. You were cooking for, like, most of both of those games, uh, just kind of, like, you know, fell up, came up short at the end, really, in both of them. So I don't really know what you're talking about. But then kind of that was in my mind going into this game, and I could actually really see it carry itself out. So I think NBA coaches are smarter than me, I think is what I learned. But – You can just see so many possessions where, like, one guy zigs and the other zags. Or where, you know, you think a pass is going to be there, or you think a shot is going to be here, and it's not. Or, like, okay, KP's got the switch. Okay, are we posting him up, or am I taking the big guy off the dribble, or do we swing it over here, or what are we – okay, what are we doing? There's just, like, a lot of situational stuff that I think they're still sort of feeling out. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I just I didn't really I, I hadn't really thought about that against Houston or Phoenix because I, I mean let's be real for the Houston game neither team was really defending that much and so a lot of it was layups. But when push comes to shove and when you know the defense is set and everything, um, can you can you look like you've been playing together every day for the last six months? And the answer is no. Of course, none of these guys have been playing together. But 
um, can you can you kind of refine rediscover that chemistry uh, and they're still working on it and so I think that you know there are plenty of gripes about the way that they've played and certain things that have happened and all that stuff but I think a lot of it is just going to kind of be you know eventually corrected you know over time just getting a little more comfortable so that was that was really interesting stuff and again it just reminded me that all I do is talk NBA coaches actually coach so they understand <laughs> the game way better than you or I do um, all right, my honorable mention. I'll keep it. Uh, I'll keep mine with uh, officiating too. This hasn't hurt the Mavericks a ton, but I've watched a handful of other bubble games and I've seen this, and it's frustrated me. I think the lack of crowd allows the refs to hear more on the court, therefore handing out more text. Okay. And I've heard, I've seen some other instances where players like will will jaw at each other or they'll have a big dunk and they'll say something and they're getting immediately you know, like teed up and, and I'm like dang and then I heard and then I was like listening to this other podcast the other day I, it might have been Ryan Rosillo at the ringer and he was like yeah these refs can like hear these like jabbering now between the players because normally like the crowd like a you know a big dunk or something happens and then the refs are you know they're watching but they might not hear it because the crowd's just going nuts over it and now they can hear everything. Now they can hear every word, every name called, every everything that these players are saying to each other. And it feels like some ticky tack texts are being handed out. And I'm like, hey, you know what? Just let's let's just swallow the whistle on the text. And uh, I, I want to see some players, you know, jaw back and forth a little bit. I like it. Uh, even the Dorian Aiton stuff. I was like, all right, my money's on Dorian. But didn't know um, that we need to spend 15 minutes reviewing that either. Oh, I mean, my I, I watched God. the end of that Suns game again yesterday. I watched it with my dad because I'm in Kentucky right now. And my dad's like old school NBA fan. And he, he kept on bringing it up. It was that and the Rubio Falcon story. And he's like, oh. why are they taking so long? Oh, my gosh. And he was so upset about it. I'm like, yep, that's how Dorian maliciously assaults <laughs> Ricky Rubio by stepping on his foot on accident. I, I mean, um, unbelievable. I uh, but my my last real thing, I'll, I'll make it really quick. Um, I know that he struggled from deep today, of seven from three. But Kristaps Porzingis, man, he's just so dang good. And I just walked out of those. I think he's getting closer and closer to that pre ACL KP. And we talk about this duo that Luca and KP can be, and we're all really confident in what Luca is. I mean, we've seen what he did against Sacramento yesterday and MVP caliber performance, but Kristaps Porzingis was like top 15 player in the league. Good. When he tore his ACL and just seeing him getting back in his groove. And I did that story with him talking about his like optimal shape and everything, getting back to a finding. I think he even Rachel Nichols added kind of added onto that uh, later. I guess it was the week after it was sometimes last week when and she even tweeted out and said, she talked to Porzingis. He said he lost 10, like 10 pounds of that muscle and finding, he talked to her about finding that optimal shape for him to play at and how he's lost weight to get back to where he's like comfortable playing. And, I just going into the bubble, he was one of my non-biased like top five players that I think people forgot about just how good they are, and I think he's gonna like not really blow up in the bubble because people know he's already good. But I just think he's gonna play continue playing really well and show people, hey, I'm still like a star in this league, and I think it's gonna be huge for Dallas. He looks so much more just comfortable 
like comfortable yeah. in the post. He's not rushed at all. Nobody, you know, guys are still trying to like bump him off his spot, and sometimes it's working. And today there was he turned around and he got called for an offensive foul. That's another case where I think you could hear sound, and when other times you wouldn't. But whatever, uh, be that as it may, he's still looking pretty comfortable. And then also he is. Um, um, sorry, I just totally lost my train of thought. Uh, putting the ball on the floor earlier yeah. this season, there was kind of this sort of like collective, like, uh, I don't know, whenever he put it on the floor, you're not sure, like, is, is he going to turn it over or whatever? Um, but I mean, he's looking great off the bounce. He's looking great off the bounce right now. And, um, yeah, it's just good to see. I mean, it's, it's good. To, it, there, there are still a couple of times where he's kind of ending up in like in no man's land. Like there was one play today. He drove pr- uh, probably around Holmes. Uh, or like tried to and didn't quite beat him around the corner and so he turned to make a pass but if you leave your pass to make a pass before you see it then you know things are going to happen and so it led to a fast break probably dunk and then uh there been a couple other times he's like dribbled it off his leg or whatever but I mean that's going to happen but like the improvement from October to November to now I mean it's just it's been immense in the in the block mid post like he's posting guys up at the nail at the elbow and like he's he's hitting shots over them there um and then also just putting the ball on the floor beating big guys around the dribble drawing fouls seeking out contact not shying away from contact shows that he's got the confidence in himself uh that you know he's not thinking about the knee or whatever you know he's he is he's all there you know he's like in the moment he's not worried about getting hurt or taking a tumble or anything um yeah it's it's pretty awesome this this kind of Porzingis we got a glimpse of in March but he's like almost a completely new player, and it's it's yeah. pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah. I I I have nothing more to add to it. It's all you, Bobby. Ah, beautiful, beautiful. Well, that was kind of our last takes. But do you have any other like bonus takes that you want to say before we get out of here, or do you feel like we uh, we touched all the bases? I can I end it on a quote at least. Yes, absolutely. I would like to quote the great Isaac Lee and Jason Gallagher. From the ringer and just say the baffling kings took Bagley over Luca. It is an event, a moment in time that I feel like I mean we'll remember forever. <laughs> kings not fans just too. the draft night. <laughs> not just holding a piece of pizza, finding out that yes, this was indeed happening. The Mavs are gonna be able to make the trade. But also Isaac Lee and Jason Gallagher's epic performance of Hollow Luca at uh, American Airlines Center. And then Luca's 11 0 run to win the game. Everything about it. Like, if any of those things didn't happen, then life would just suck, you know? Like, imagine these guys come all the way out to Dallas to do a performance of a song, and Luca just goes like, he was like two for 12 and they lose. That would suck. But instead, he goes on epic 11 0 run, they win the game. We look like geniuses. You know, I, I I don't know, man. It's just great. It's great. Everything about it's so great. I, I, I can't believe that just any time you get down low, Mavs lose a game they shouldn't or, you know, whatever. Life sucks and basketball's lame and sports are the worst. Just remind yourself how freaking lucky we are to get to watch this guy. Like, I don't know, man. I, I, I don't really I don't I, I can't say too much more without getting myself in trouble, but just like the ultimate sense of perspective is realizing that this guy is like pretty close to being LeBron James Harden 
combined. And he's 21. I mean, it's just like, it's insane. It's insane. So just enjoy it. For the love of God, just allow yourself to enjoy it. Because what we are seeing, 29 other fan bases and all 30 fan bases throughout 100 years of basketball would kill to have this player on their team. So just just keep that in mind. Including Sacramento, probably. No offense. All right, Isaac. feel like we, we did a pretty good job here. On a, really kind of our first immediate post-game uh, Mavs Daily. It's, or, ordinarily, we're just kind of strolling in here whenever we want and talking about whatever we want. Today, we had to get right to it. And luckily, the Mavs are able to win. Uh, they will play again tomorrow against the L.A. Clippers, and then they have another game coming up a couple of days later against Milwaukee. And then kind of a- as far as it goes in the standings, kind of the biggest one of them all comes uh, after that against Utah. Now, Utah's lost a couple games. They did manage to escape a near loss against the Pelicans in the first game of the bubble um, whenever Brandon Ingram missed a buzzer beater to win the game. But uh, there is still kind of a – there's like a very, very remote chance that the Mavs could move up, and Utah is one of the teams that they could potentially pass. And so as difficult as it is, got to try and see if these Clippers-Bucks games can be wins, and then you go into Utah with a lot of momentum and confidence, and maybe you uh, maybe you make the impossible happen, and you can get up out of, uh, out of seventh and into sixth, or maybe even better. Who knows? But either way, the basketball will continue. The show must go on as it always does and as it always has to. And we will be here with you every step of the way to talk you through it. He is Isaac Harris. You can follow him on Twitter at Isaac L. Harris. I'm Bobby Corella. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby Corella. And we will see you next time on Mavs Daily. Mavs Daily.